Winston Churchill sold the British Empire for scrap. Part 2. The Pacific Half. Now let us discuss how Churchill transferred the Pacific half of the British Empire for pennies to the Americans, as he was ordered to do by his cousins further up the food chain. Through their financial control of Nazi Germany and Soviet Russia, the Anglo-American royal conglomerate-slash-royal dictatorship finished the conquest of all of Europe and all of Russian Asia. Through centuries of ruthless military conquest and even more ruthless economic domination, Africa was already well in hand by 1943, regardless of the reality TV show in North Africa to murder peasants for aristocrat entertainment and to settle aristocratic bets. By this, I directly mean that the direction of world history largely seems to be settled by factions of the aristocracy pitting factions of peasants against each other, forcing them to fight to the death, and whoever wins, that's the direction the entire peerage agrees to head. At least until the next battle occurs, a.k.a. familiar conflict resolution among the aristocracy, a.k.a. a chess game using peasants as the pieces. The remainder of the conquest of Asia, that which hadn't been completed by 1914, and let's be frank, most of it was already done before the turn of the century, but Asia is a really big place, was spearheaded by the Japanese, working as junior partners in the Anglo-American Empire. A process begun much earlier than the mainstream wants to admit, despite actually admitting it, but attempting to misdirect about it constantly for well over a century. A very standard intelligence agency tactic and operating procedure. This alliance had begun way back when Americans forced the Japanese into a trade agreement. The Tokugawa and their successors realized which way the wind was blowing and realized that they had two choices. To be crushed mercilessly by the West or to be the boot the West used to crush everyone else in Asia. The Japanese people were outright used by their aristocracy, who had sold them out to the West, to conquer what parts of Asia the other powers were too busy to bother with, mostly due to lack of troops and or funds. Used and then murdered for the profit and the power of their feudal lords. How many times now have we seen that story play out? And you think that that's just how people act? No, it's how dangerous psychopaths manipulating people to act, act. <clears throat> there is a discernible difference between the two, regular people and psychopaths, despite the many centuries of lies by the psychopathic aristocracy trying to convince the peasants that they were superior, when in fact they are highly deficient by every moral standard of every moral tribe. Note at this point how the Japanese went from being close ally to mortal enemy to close ally all in the space of under three generations, and ask yourself why. Kibono. Forced evolution, baby, that's why. The Japanese were the perfect scientific, uh, modern scientific experiment for the Western social engineers. Although that's kind of really an episode of its very own, and I digress a little bit. But what matters here for us is that Japanese were used as cannon fodder, remind you of anyone? And as useful boogeyman, also remind you of anyone? To force the U.S. into a war it neither wanted nor had any interested in. A war that Wall Street needed in order to force the next stage of forced evolution on the American peasant, regarded as the most uppity and dangerous in the world. And this next stage was total active submission to the military dictatorship that had run the show in America since 1866, but used reality TV tactics to try to hide. 
The military in Wall Street had literally spent a century conditioning the American people to be accepting of such a military dictatorship in every way that mattered, except in name, of course. However, many Americans actually saw this surprisingly and actually attempted to warn their countrymen, but nobody listened. But this was just merely another stage in the decades-long project to turn everyone on this planet into authoritarian livestock. The conversion of America from free republic to aristocratic private military corporation. It was very brilliantly evil. And the remainder of the 20th century was merely mop-up by the Anglo-American Empire, doing to the rest of Asia what the EIC had already finished in India. Note here that companies run by descendants of the EIC's board of directors were, just as the EIC in its day, the prime beneficiaries of what the peasants paid the crown security apparatus to do in their name. Not the peasants, the aristocrats. Note also that all the wars from 1941 to 1976 were seemed to have been caused in order to use them as test beds for developing new technology, with a secondary bonus of forcibly evolving the peasants continually by removing their best and brightest via constant industrialized murder. Technology that was being developed in the deliberately low-scale wars for one purpose, to eventually crush the Americans if they ever tried to bite the hand that kept them deliberately obese. Because, after all, gun ownership prevented the aristocracy doing to America what they had done everywhere else, a.k.a. taking everything outright. So instead, they had to literally spend 200 years doing everything they possibly could to subvert America and American ideals one step at a time. Most people don't know this, but near the beginning of World War II, the British illegally and immorally, at the command of Sir Winston, attacked their French allies and attempted to murder innocent French soldiers and sailors, against all treaties and against all practical sense. They even went so far as to outright assassinate several important Free French and Vichy French officials, most no notably an important French admiral, for the crime of daring to disagree with arch-war criminal Winston Churchill. The British even tried to illegally and immorally seize the French Navy stationed in North Africa, However, due directly to comical levels of incompetence, they got spanked in a very embarrassing and humiliating way. Uh, another one of Winston Churchill's many, many military disasters. However, between Vichy and Nod and selective assassination, the Anglo-Dutch Empire had managed to seize or murder all the remaining holdouts of peerage houses who dared resist the modernist faction. Functionally, for Asia, this meant transferring imperial possessions from the old empire to the new empire, from one front company to another. <clears throat> Which brings us back to Winston Churchill selling the Pacific to the Americans, or how the Anglo-Dutch Empire successfully transferred the cost of maintaining its Pacific Empire to its puppet colony, the United States of America Incorporated, all capital letters. How, you might ask? Well, because the imperial possessions of France, for starters, and Holland and Britain, most importantly, were all transferred to the Americans, starting with the conquest of Vietnam by Wall Street's creation communism, and the conquest of China, uh, both a uh, Ho Chi Minh and Mao being agents selected by Skull and Bones and educated by Skull and Bones. Over the course of this, in its campaign to forcibly evolve the perfect peasant, the American Imperial Mercenary Corporation was forced, starting way back in the 1950s, when, before Kennedy was even in office, when Eisenhower was still in office, 
In fact, at the same time that Korea was going on, there were already American troops going to Vietnam. But back to World War II. When I was younger and first studying the Japanese campaigns against the Anglo-Dutch Empire at the beginning of the Pacific campaigns of World War II, I kept scratching my head because nothing seemed to really match up. The narrative told, tale that we were told, compared to what, what actually seemed to have happened, doesn't quite up. Most notably in the figures given for the numbers of troops and equipment involved, the casualties involved, and the material losses involved. Indeed, the deeper I looked into what we're told happened in the beginning salvos of the Pacific War between the Anglo-Dutch Empire and their fiefs the Americans and their other fiefs the Japanese, the more everything looks rather very staged. For the most part, the defenders in multiple places gave no more than token resistance before being ordered to give up arms, which basically allowed the Japanese to sweep mostly completely unresisted halfway across Asia. But before that, this really does indicate how deep the Japanese leadership were in on it, the Japanese Empire was allowed to seize massive amounts of territory between 1895 and 1940 starting with when they crushed the Russians, who were cousins to the British throne and useful boogeymen in the 19th century, just as much as they were useful boogeymen in the 20th century, oh damn pesky Ruskies, at a time when the Western powers ruthlessly crushed any native regional power who attempted such. But not only that, but the Japanese were equipped with ships and technology provided to them directly from the Anglo-Dutch Empire, the preeminent naval and military power in the world since the decline of the Habsburg's patchwork quilt. And this is a reminder, though, that the people in charge, the aristocratic families in charge, milk an empire until it collapsed from their vampirism, and then they move to a new region and rinse and repeat. So they left the Habsburgs to die after they drained them dry and moved to the Anglo-Dutch to do the same to them and then did the same thing later to the Americans and the Japanese. Then, after being so closely allied with the Allies during World War I that they were given quite literally all the German South Seas possessions, the Japanese were supposedly economically and politically goaded for decades by the Anglo-Dutch Empire and its fief America into starting a large-scale Pacific War. But upon close investigation, this is revealed to be a show mostly for the Japanese peasants, in the same way that Hitler's posturing was a show to scare the European peasants. If you were to investigate everything the Japanese were fed by the government from about 1881 on, you'll see that it was largely copied the same drivel fed to the British, Dutch, Americans, Germans, and Russians, just adapted for local use in Japan. Fear porn localized for maximum scare effect for the regional area peasants. So, in the same way that the Americans were scammed into civilizing an entire continent for the twin Hydra crown corporations, the EIC and HBC, the Japanese were scammed into doing the same thing, starting in Korea and Taiwan. They were tricked into beginning the forceful transition from the agrarian age to the modern age, skipping all the steps in between. And they were basically tricked into scam uh, dragging all the rest of history or sorry, all the rest of Asia with them. The history books even tell us that they couched it in the exact same terms as done to the Americans, except for they updated the propaganda that are represented as Greater East Asia Co-Prosperity Sphere, but dominated by Japan. The most hilarious part of this, however, is 
when how Wikipedia, the CIA slash DARPA creation, thumbs its nose at us peasants by telling us that the meetings that Japan had with these other Asian powers over the greater East Asia co-prosperity sphere were conducted in English. Despite the main slogan of the entire shenanigan being Asia for the Asians, could they have been any more obvious in telling us that this was run by Anglo-American intelligence? No, I'm asking, could they really have been any more obvious? Then, as another thing that didn't add up about the situation as stated, was how fast the Americans mopped up the Japanese, despite the, quote, ferocious resistance we were told that the Japanese put up on every island along the way to Japan. But given the population figures of both nations before and after the war, I've come to doubt that the majority of what we're told about the Pacific Island hopping campaign that the American Americans went through is actually true. But this isn't to say that peasants on both sides weren't murdered in large numbers, because I mean that was the entire point of the war was to kill peasants in large numbers. But the numbers simply before and after the war simply don't add up at all. Not on any one of the nations involved, and I would call that directly sneaky sneaky fear porn. And if you doubt that the Japanese leadership were in on it, look at both Japan and South Korea which the money in trail indicates is profit shared between Western and Japanese corporations, which that same money trail indicates are all owned by Western and Japanese aristocrats who teamed up with the Western aristocrats. Look at how they went from traditionalist Asian countries to the most Western places in all of Asia. Also, what kind of conquered nation is allowed to keep their leadership mostly intact, which is what happened in Japan after the war, as it did in Germany as well. The supposed quote-unquote denazification process that Japan underwent at the hands of the American slavers was really just an Americanization as the spearhead of Weimar America in Asia. The exact same one that went on in Germany as Project Paperclip and the reformation of the German army in the 50s and the staffing of West German intelligence with former Nazis proved conclusively. It was all a big fancy theater show for the peasants, to kill the peasants, to herd the peasants, and to firmly stuffed them into the second industrial age. As for China, well, the money trail clearly proves that Anglo-American money funded both sides of the Chinese Civil War, which arguably was a fiction created by the banksters to first create, and then amuse the emergency situation to force through massive social change that nobody wanted in the most populous country in the world and went on continuously from 1905, after the Chinese lost the Boxer Rebellions and the West took over, all the way up to the 1947 Declaration of Mao that Red China controlled the mainland, which actually isn't quite true, but whatever, more propaganda. Then the remnants of the Chinese aristocracy who had fled to Taiwan, a.k.a. the remainder of the aristocracy that was smart enough to see like the Japanese which way the wind was blowing when the westerners with the big cannon swaggered into town were ready to finish the job of westernizing an island that was already well on its way due to decades of Japanese occupation. But because divide and conquer is such a useful strategy and had been so useful to the west in governing India it was kept around in China and the rest of Asia long after the staged civil war was over, via the mainland versus Taiwan. It was kept around in Korea long after the war was technically over, via South Korea versus North Korea. 
And they attempted to keep it around in Vietnam, but the Vietnam Vietnamese people weren't having it and thought that their subverted movement of communism really was something they could make theirs, not understanding that their own leadership had, just like Mao, been selected by bankster groups like Skull and Bones and their affiliate Wall Street banks to head communism, aka the modernization of feudalism for the industrial age. Which is why today the Vietnamese economy is run as a western sweatshop since 1976 for sure, in the same way that China and every other Asian nation has been since 1946. And yet, despite the Royal Navy no longer being the biggest navy in the world, and the American peasant having to shoulder the worst military budget in history, the money trail still goes to Britain, not to America. Proving that the British Empire never ended, it just cleverly changed its spots, becoming a were empire of sorts, an empire that is there in every way except name. Oh, I know. I know this wasn't the ending you were expecting. I know you were expecting some kind of proper explanation for how the Americans took over. <clears throat> but it's not what happened. Because what we are told what happened when Queen Lizard Breath supposedly ended colonialism in the 1950s didn't happen. It was just transferred. Note carefully that this occurred after the British fought and won several of their own versions of Vietnam in the Middle East and in Asia and in Africa. But we are told that the British Empire ended and America became the world's policeman in the British stead, and that happened in propaganda form, and even militarily. But this was simply due to the enormous difference in population between America and England. And it was much easier to scam a larger group of dumber peasants, perhaps. <clears throat> and it makes sense from a control perspective to switch your military capital to where your cannon fodder live. Namely, with how D.C. is the functional military capital of the entire world, holding the entire world hostage with nuclear, biological, and chemical weapons. But the money net trail never lies, no matter how they try to distort it, and London, the square mile in London, England, where all the banks live, is where the world capital is. And this money trail is always conclusive. No matter where the chain of command seems to lead, the chain of command in the military has always been subordinate to the banker who pays for the equipment, who pays for their fancy uniforms, who pays for their pay and their health care and their retirement. And it's been that way since the Roman Empire invented all these things. But you know the saying, those who win write history, and those who won largely wrote themselves out of history, while at the same time telling us via their background roles written into those same histories who was really running the show.